The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Well, good morning, Story City. How's everybody doing this morning? Isn't it good to be in church on a Sunday morning? It's cold outside, and we're almost done with May Gray. But isn't it good to be in church this morning? You glad to be here? Oh, man, that was weak. Well, I'm glad to be here. I don't know if you are. I haven't been here. Well, you can clap. There you go. I've been away from uh, here the last two out of three weeks, and it's good to be back this morning. And next week, I'm going to tell you why I've been gone two out of three weeks. And I don't want you to miss next Sunday. It's going to be an important Sunday in the life of our church. And our church is about to enter into a brand new season of ministry and life. And uh, God's been uh, shining down his favor on our church. It's so exciting what God's doing. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you about that. So I don't want you to miss. Now, we're going to close out our series that we titled, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And we started this series six Sundays ago, I believe now, five Sundays ago, and I told you it was gonna be a three-week series. It ended up being a five-week series, but it's been good. And so if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 is our text this morning, and I'm gonna start in verse 10. So go ahead and take your Bibles out. If you didn't bring one, that's okay. We're gonna put the verses on the screen. While you're turning there, uh, I wanna call us to prayer for a moment. Uh, there's a lady in our church who's been an intimate part of our church for uh, a long time, almost since the very beginning. And she's been wrestling with cancer for years and years and years. And uh, she needs our prayers this morning. And she's in ICU today. And I got a text from her husband this morning. And he was giving us an update. And he said, I'm not worried about her soul. And so I, I just want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray for her. It's a good thing to know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't know if you know Jesus this morning. I don't know if you've ever been saved, if you ever trusted your life to Jesus. But if you left today, would you, would you be in the presence of the Lord? Do you know Jesus? And I'm grateful this morning that she does know Jesus if that were to be the case. So I want us to pray together. Uh, her name is Ileana. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you today. God, we're grateful for you, grateful for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for this day. We don't take it for granted. It's never happened before. It will never happen again. Jesus, I pray for today. I pray for Ileana's body. God, we pray for healing and grace in her life. God, we pray for the doctors who are ministering to her even today. God, we know that if her body would be healed, it would be a miracle of God. And God, you are in control. You have the authority. You have the power. You have the ability to heal her body. And so we ask you to do so today, knowing God that ultimate healing is to be present with you. And so God, whatever the case, God, we thank you that she knows you. God, we thank you for Patrick and Naomi and Tyler who are here this morning, God. I pray as they care for their mother this morning, I pray in Jesus' name you would give them encouragement, Lord. God, you would sustain their, their, their minds today, Lord. And so, God, I pray that you'd wrap them in love and comfort today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said amen and amen. Two weeks ago, we uh, looked at Romans chapter 14 as we're working through this series called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And so in the first nine verses of Romans chapter 14, what we saw was in the church in Rome, there are debates going on. They're debating over what Paul calls in verse one, opinions. It's the word dialogismai. 
gives us this idea that they're disputing between two opinions and two ideas, trying to decide which one is right. And so specifically in the church in Rome, here in Romans chapter 14, they're disputing over whether or not you should eat certain foods. They're disputing over whether or not you can drink wine. They're disputing over whether or not what the appropriate day to observe the Sabbath may be. And so down in verse four, Paul says, why are you judging each other? And it's not a judgment to, uh, to discern whether or not a person is saved. It's a judgment as to their morality. It's a judgment as to their integrity. And Paul's saying, why are you judging their integrity and their morality on this issue? In fact, he goes on to say that there are weak positions in the matters and there are strong positions in the matters, but neither weak nor strong as it pertains to the issues they're dealing with. Neither one of them are sinful positions, and this is important, unless they disobey their conscience. In other words, their conscience may be weak in regards to debatable matters. Their conscience may be strong in regards to debatable matters. But listen, but they can still stand with integrity before God. And then Paul asked the question, why can't they stand with integrity before you? And so we've got this concept of disagreement within the church, yet still maintaining unity. And so what we see in scripture is oftentimes we have clear commands from God. And we'll talk about some of those here in just a moment. We've got clear commands from God, but on the issues where God is not clearly spoken, things that are not clearly sinful, they could be moral issues, they could be social issues, they could even be theological issues that are up for debate. On the unclear things in scripture, Paul is saying to us, do not allow yourself to judge or despise others because of their opinion. Paul's saying there's freedom in your conscience on things like politics and alcohol and how you celebrate Halloween and your view on the end times. And Paul's saying it's good and it's right and it's necessary to have convictions about things, but it's not good, it's not right, it's not necessary to push those convictions on someone else when scripture is not clear. So today, in the second half of Romans chapter 14, we're going to look at what Paul says about abusing our freedoms, about our liberty, about how that affects other people's conscience. And so I want us to ask a couple questions as we walk through this and close out this series. One of those questions is, what happens when I abuse my liberty? What happens when I abuse my freedoms? What happens when I push my conscience on someone else? And then finally, we're going to close out today and ask the question, how should my conscience act? How could, should my conscience work in four areas? When God clearly speaks, when there are debatable matters, when, when there are principles in scripture, and then when we clearly have freedom. So we're gonna talk about the conscience again this morning, and we're gonna start in verse 10. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 10. Read along with me. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, it says in verse 10. Verse 11, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. 
In verse one, it gives us this idea to not look down on others, not, not look at contempt with others, and, and to accept others, even in their differing conscience, but accept them because in such a way that we're not trying to change their opinion. Here it says in verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, this is what he says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block not to put any obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. Paul's saying here, it's not, it's not your place. It's not my place to, to pass down judgment on people I believe deserve judgment. He says, let's not judge. The Greek word, krino, let's not condemn. In verses 10 through 12, this is what he's saying here. The Lord's the one that is going to judge. It's not for us. That's not for me. That's not for you. The weak, Paul says, are not to judge the strong. And that's the tendency, and that's what's happened here in the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 14. The weak are condemning the strong because of their eating, because of their observance of the Sabbath, and they saw that as an abuse of their freedom. And then Paul says, and neither are the strong to condemn. The weak for their lack of faith, their simple-mindedness, their small-mindedness. That's not for you to do. Instead, Paul says here, you are to make a decision. What's my decision, Pastor Matt? My decision is I'm not going to judge someone based on my conscience and my disagreement with them. Now, we're going to unpack that here in just a moment. But look at the second half of verse 13. Paul says in the second half of verse 13, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or any obstacle in, a, in the way of a brother or a sister. Here's a principle that I wanna to give to you this morning and I want you to write it down because it's very, very important. And the principle is this, we can commend our conscience to others. We can commend our conscience to others, but we should never push our conscience on someone else. And this happens when our conscience says, I can do this, or I can't do this, I can, I'm allowed to do this in a certain situation. I can drink alcohol, you should drink alcohol as well, or vice versa. When we push our conscience on debatable matters on others, Paul says, this is what he says. He says, it's as if we lay a stumbling block. It's as if we lay an obstacle in the way of another brother or sister. I don't know if you're an NFL fan here, if you're a major league sports fan, but in the National Football League, their National Football League rule book, Rule 12, Section 1, Article 1, Letter N, tripping is an unsportsmanlike conduct. It results in a 10-yard penalty. In Major League Baseball, in the Major League Baseball official rule book, in Rule 7-09, Letter J, you can look it up, the act of a fielder who, while not, and by the way, we won 34 to 12 on Friday in softball, just throwing it out there, all right? The act of a fielder who, while not in possession of the ball and not in the act of fielding the ball, if he impedes the progress of any runner, it results in obstruction. The result is that the runner is awarded the next base. Now, some of you are soccer fans, and we forgive you for that, but if you're a soccer fan, Major League Soccer, tripping or attempting to trip an opponent, if it's careless, if it's reckless, if it's an excessive use of force, the Major League Soccer rulebook tells us it will result in a yellow card or possibly a red card. In Major League Sports, tripping or impeding the progress of another player is considered a foul. It's considered a penalty. 
Paul says, when we cause another brother or sister to trip or to stumble in their pursuit of Jesus, it's a foul. It's a penalty. In fact, Paul would say it's sin. So what happens is when we push our conscience on someone else, we push our conscience on others and we cause them to stumble, what's actually happening is we are sinning ourselves. And Paul says, make a decision. Decide not to judge and also decide you're not gonna be the person who causes the brother or the sister to trip up in their pursuit of Jesus. Now listen, I want you to remember because we can read Romans chapter 14 and we can wield Romans chapter 14 in issues where we are truly ignorant because we don't know the scriptures. What we are talking about here in Romans chapter 14 is we're talking about our conscience on debatable matters. On principles in scripture, we're talking about our conscience as it pertains to issues of freedom. We are not talking about God's clear commands. There's a process in scripture for dealing with what happens when the church and people within the church violate God's clear commands or those commands are ignored in scripture. What are some of those commands, Pastor Matt? You read Galatians chapter five, you read Colossians chapter three. There are some very clear things that God has said, this is sin. That's not what we're talking about here. And sometimes we can, out of ignorance and not knowing the scripture, we can wield this idea of not judging our conscience simply because we don't know what God's word says. And Paul here is saying, I'm not talking about those clear commands. I'm talking about the opinions, he says in verse one. I'm talking about the debatable matters. I'm talking about the principles where we disagree, meaning we can still maintain unity. Now look at verse 14. I'm convinced, Paul says, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Paul says, I'm convinced nothing is unclean. There's not sin in food. There's not sin in drink. There's not sin in film. There's not sin in games or recreation. There's not sin in plants. There's sin in excess of all those things. There's sin in indulgence of all those things. There's sin in allowing all of those things to control you and overrule the spirit of God in you, but in and of themselves, they are not sin. In fact, 1 Timothy 4, 4 tells us, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And the warning there is in the context of people telling other people that they should abstain from certain foods. Titus chapter one, verse 15 says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted. Now listen to what he says. This is the description of our conscience. Last two weeks ago, we talked about the Bible's description of our conscience. And there's positive ways and negative ways the Bible describes our conscience. Negative ways. It can be corrupted. It can be seared. It can be dulled. It can be deadened. And one of the ways that our conscience is corrupted, we can claim freedom on the way we view things and yet be ignorant about what the scripture actually says. And Paul is saying here, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those whose consciences are corrupted and they do not believe, nothing is pure. 
In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Jesus even says in Mark chapter 7, verse 15, nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of the person that defiles him. Paul's saying here that even in this passage, even in Romans chapter 14, there's strong and there's weak Christians, meaning not everybody can handle everything. Listen, you may be right in taking your kids out for Halloween candy on October the 31st, and you may be convinced in your mind that it is okay. But listen to me, listen to me. But not everybody is ready to handle that. I know that may sound strange to you this morning. But not everybody is in the same place. And listen, if you're truly godly and the spirit of God lives within you, you don't need to be dissuaded against taking your kids out for candy on October the 31st. But listen to me. You also do not need to flaunt your freedom. You also do not need to impose on another brother or sister's conscience and one especially who may be weaker in order to show them a pattern of love, in order to cause them not to stumble. Instead, they need to be encouraged, listen to me, not to violate their conscience and what it tells them to do. And instead, they need to see an example of love and they need to be met on their ground. Now, some of you believe that every opinion you hold is the strong opinion, and that's just not true. Some of you believe I am the stronger brother in every scenario. It's simply not true. At the end this morning, we're going to talk about how our conscience should work in some of these things. Some of our consciences and some of our opinions need to be educated and calibrated and burdened through the Holy Spirit, pressing in on how we view some things. This is what Paul says in the middle of verse 14. He says, I'm convinced that that nothing is unclean. But listen to what he says in the middle of verse 14. But to him who thinks that anything is unclean, it's what? But to him who thinks it is unclean, it is what? What does the scripture say? But to him who thinks it is unclean, it is what? Unclean. Commentator David Brown once said, whatever tends to make anyone violate their conscience tends to the destruction of their soul. And whoever helps, whether wittingly or not, to bring about the one is guilty of aiding to accomplish the other. In other words, if I cause you to violate your conscience, I am tending, I am participating in the destruction of your soul. Here's the principle. Write this down. I have two principles I want to give you this morning, and here's the second one. The second principle is do not violate your conscience. Do not violate your conscience. Because here's the thing. The Bible says when we have a clean conscience, we experience great freedom. We never want to train our conscience to violate itself. We don't want to train ourselves to ignore our conscience. We also don't want to train ourselves to overrule our conscience. And when a stronger brother comes along and tempts a weaker brother to violate their conscience, according to Romans chapter 14, that weaker brother is going to experience some ill effects. They're going to experience bitterness and pain. They're going to experience grief and guilt in their heart. And they're going to feel guilt rather than growth in their walk with Jesus. And in some occasions, 
If they're led to violate their conscience, it could actually push them backwards in their walk with Jesus and and have a negative view and be afraid of their own liberty. Paul says in verse 15, we're not not just to not cause our brother to stumble, but we're also to be careful not to cause our brother to be sad, to be grieved. Can I say to you this morning, Paul is not asking you to give up your liberty today. Paul's actually encouraging you to enjoy your liberty and also to understand your liberty. But listen to me. But pushing your conscience on another brother or sister in such a way that causes them to violate their conscience, listen to me, is sin. Now let me be clear about something. By the way, I know this... Um, Josh is going to come up in just a moment. Josh is the counselor. He's the guy that will rub you on the back and tell you it's all good. That's his way. That's not how I'm gifted to be the prophet. I'm, God's called me here to lead our church in this way that he's created me in a, in a prophetic way to tell you strongly this morning because some of you have opinions about things and you're destroying your brother or sister's soul. Pushing our conscience. You guys are awfully quiet this morning, so I'm feeling the effects of being the prophet today. (laughs) I want to be clear about something. Paul's not saying that sin is a subjective thing. It's not what you make it out to be. It's not just what you think it is. That's simply not true. Sin is very explicitly defined in Scripture. It's very explicitly defined in Scripture. And we're not talking about the things that are basically inherently not sinful. Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now listen to verse 19. He's going he's gonna to very clearly, explicitly tell you what some things are that are sin. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, he goes on to say, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say in Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul's not talking about the clear commands of scripture. He's talking about the things that are not inherently sinful. Those things that a person chooses to do those things or believe in those things that aren't inherently sinful, even if they do them and their conscience says not to do them, Paul is saying they will have a guilty conscience. Now, verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. This is the principle stated here. It's not wise. It's not safe to sin against your conscience. Verse 17 and 18. Now, I want you to hear this. For the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God, you need to discern whether your opinion is about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of you, by the way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. 
There are some things that you have strong opinions on. And Paul is saying, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. Your politics, your, your food choices, your drink choices. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. And so hold your opinion on those things, but don't press them in on other people. But what is the kingdom of God about? It's about righteousness. How do I experience righteousness? There's only one way to experience righteousness, and that's placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you experience righteousness when you have been saved, when you've trusted the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Paul says, but the kingdom of God is about righteousness. The second thing he says there in verse 17 is the kingdom of God is about peace. How do you experience peace? I love Romans chapter five, verse one, maybe the most quoted verse I quote in this platform uh, week in and week out. For by faith you have been saved. For by faith you have been saved. uh, You have experienced peace with God once you've trusted your life to G- how do I experience peace when I have been unified with God? It's the same way you experience peace on earth today when you have unity with other people. Then he goes on to say the kingdom of God is about righteousness. The kingdom of God is about peace. The kingdom of God is about joy. He goes on to say in the Holy Spirit. Don't skip over that. In the Holy Spirit because sometimes we have strong opinions about things that the Holy Spirit has not influenced you to have an opinion about. But someone else has, a mom has, a brother has, a spouse has, a boyfriend has, a girlfriend has, a politician has. Paul says the kingdom of God is not about those things. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 I know you guys are looking at me like, I need Josh to come up and pat me on the back right now. He's coming. Hold on. Verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. This is the the principle stated positively here. The acceptable way to deal with your conscience is not to violate it, not to cause anyone else to violate it. And when doing so, you're acceptable to God. In other words, it's the right thing to do. Verse 19, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is the command from scripture that really frames this entire series we've been walking through. And by the way, let me just remind you, if we haven't said it in a couple of weeks, we're explicitly talking about within the church. We have a foundation for which we can disagree and still maintain unity. We don't have that foundation between believers and non-believers. We don't play on the same field, but within the church, we have a foundation from which we can disagree and we can still maintain unity. And here it is. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual building up. Paul says you should allow freedom for other believers to peaceably disagree with you. I can't think of a, of a better application of Romans chapter 14 in our current context, in our current day, in our current culture than this. By Paul's counsel, follow your conscience before God, but allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to follow theirs without judging them. The impulse of our conscience should never be to tear someone down, but to build them up. That means we limit the exercise 
of our freedom at times. That means there are times when I do not engage in this activity because I know the brother or sister around me and watching me is going to be torn down because of my actions. Josh talked about this week two, Philippians chapter two. How does that happen? It only happens when we begin to express humility and apply it in our lives. And listen to me, if you're at the place in your life where you're like, I'm not going to limit myself for this other person because I believe this is the right opinion, then I want to say to you, you're the weaker brother today. You're the weaker sister. And you've not yet learned to limit your freedom so that you don't offend people. Now, verse 20, and I'm going to be done and bring up Josh. Do not destroy the work of God. Look at verse 20. Do not destroy. If you have a Bible, I want you to align the word. Do not destroy the work of God. The word destroy here is from the Greek word kataluo. It means to tear down, almost as if you are going to tear down a building. Do you know the Bible describes the body of Christ? It describes the body of Christ as a building. It describes your body. It describes you personally as a temple where the Holy Spirit of God resides. Paul is saying, do not tear down the building of God. Do not tear down the temple of God in your neighbor. Why? Do not tear down for the sake of food. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about food. The kingdom of God is not about what you drink. The kingdom of God is not about your politics. The kingdom of God is not about your social issue. All food is clean, he says, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's a warning by Paul. Not to offend, not to tear down a brother or sister, a fellow believer, because you've abused your freedom. Listen to what Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 says. If anyone causes... One of these little ones, those who believe in me. Now, the context here, Jesus is actually speaking to children, but here's the context. It's not just, Jesus is not just talking about don't cause a child to walk away from me. Jesus is also talking about the immature believer, the very young believer in him. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are strong words this morning. You're better off drowned than to offend a believer. And so Jesus and Paul here are warning us not to let our own conscience take action in such a way that it causes spiritual loss or disaster in another believer's life. It could be, it could cause a loss of joy in a believer's life. It could be a, a loss of, of effectiveness in ministry. Listen to me. It could even lead another brother or sister to leave the church because you're abusing your freedom. Second John 8 says, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And so they're stronger and weaker, brothers and sisters, and if we tear them down by abusing our liberty, then can I ask you a question? Have we really loved them? If Christ loved that weak person enough to die for them, listen to me. Can't we love the believer enough not to devastate them spiritually by the abuse of our liberty? Now, I'm going to ask Josh to come on up. We're going to close this out. And I want to pose this question to you. Is Josh here this morning? Josh, here's a microphone back here backstage in one of these. I want to pose this question to us this morning as we close it out. How should our conscience work? How should our conscience work across various 
areas of biblical responsibility. I said those at the beginning, God's clear commands, debatable matters, principles, and freedoms. How should our conscience work in those areas? So Josh, a lot of this content was yours. You did a great job leading us the first couple weeks. I want you to help us here process. How should our conscience work when God has clearly spoken? Yeah, so are we on? Hello? There we go. Yeah, so if you think about the, the four breakdowns that Matt mentioned, um, in, the, in the area of clear commands from God, the, the concept we think about for conscience is that we ought to burden our conscience around those things. And it sounds bad at first, and there's some, there's some seriousness to this, but when, when God has clear commands, we need to obey and follow those. And there's two parts of burdening we can, we can describe here. The first one is that we burden them because we want to feel what God feels about those. Hmm. So if you think about the concepts of, of, of taking advantage of the poor and the weak, right? If you think about the concept of taking of life mm. and adultery and these things that are big matters in God's life, we want to feel that weight. And so that is the weight in which we burden our consciences with. We're not putting guilt there. We're putting the weight of what God feels on that. The second part of it is, is we also want to feel the weight of it when we do it well. So when we are following God, we want to feel our own hearts and our consciences say, well done. Mm. And we want to trust that our heart and our conscience is speaking truth to us. So those two things are really good. If you're concerned that, man, I've, 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 I've done some of the things that God has clearly not said and I'm feeling that weight, that's the beauty of the gospel, right? The gospel allows us to take that weightiness and not discard it, but actually feel the weightiness of grace transition our hearts and begin to follow. And so that's a healthy conscience working in that, in that and space. And on the positive side of that, that's what yeah. Hebrews says, when yeah. our conscience is clean, it's yeah. been sprinkled clean. We yeah. experience that freedom yeah. and that joy. And in my job, you said, as a counselor, patting people's backs, some of the times it's just a matter of showing them, do you see that? That was well done. You should be feeling the weight of a good heart moving towards God. Mm. The other categories you mentioned, I think in debatable matters, yes. which is an important one as well. Um, this is where we know that there's an answer. We just have sincere people that are reading their Bibles faithfully and have arrived at a very different conclusion. And this feels awkward. It feels hard. And, and we almost yearn for eternity at that point so that God can tell us in one sense, what was the answer to that? We arrived at very different views on that. And so I think in that matter, I think there's just a continuing educating our consciences with God's word, recognizing that we may change on some really big matters that we've held for a really long time. And that also allows others to change in that as well. And I think what we talked about before was build good arguments there. Mm. Don't get petty. Think carefully. Explain that. And then the other thing we think about is the idea of we can, um, we can advocate for our conscience in those moments. We can say, here's how I've thought about this. Can I share my conscience on this in an effort to kind of help others think about it? Mm. And then the last two categories, right? Can I stop yeah, right there? Debatable matters. Yeah. Could be a theological issue. Often how you is. think about the end times and how yeah. I think about yeah. the end times. Yeah. I know you and I have talked about some things, and I don't think we've arrived on the same place. Yes, right. So. so let's talk about the third one, principles. Principles. Yeah, so in principles, now you're down into things like love your wife. How does that look? Right? And yet, and yet we know that there's a way that that should be lived out. Or how do I raise my kids? Or how do I think about worship? And all these sort of kind of elements that we know ought to be done, but there's just a variety in this. And I think that's where we begin to look through carefully. Again, continue to educate your conscience. You're also looking for the areas of wisdom. This is where wisdom comes in and mm. says, how would this look in this context? Mm. How would this look in this marriage? How would this look based on the strengths that I have? And then you're also extending quite a bit in the area of weaker and stronger at this point too. Mm. Somebody may not be able to do something you could do and you just need to be okay with that. You know, just in way of application, 
one of the things that I've wrestled with for years as a believer is the principle of intimacy and devotion with Jesus. Yeah. And some people can say, you should do your devotion. Every, I know this, yeah. you should do it every, if you're not doing your devotion. And, and I felt the weight, that's a principle of devotion. And I felt the weight of that. Now, the last one is freedoms. Talk to us about how our conscience should work in the area of the places where we have freedom. Yeah, so in freedom, I think it's wonderful to be able to fully embrace and express where God has given us freedom. Um, I, I've seen people before that are paralyzed with the idea of can I pick, can I choose, mm. right? Can I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to offend God, but I, I don't know what to do. And there's this, there's this unburdening of our conscience to say there are many things in life that God has said, I've made you just the way you are. I've made you to like that more than that other person. Mm. And that's not a problem. That's actually a freedom, and that's the diversity of the body of Christ, again, that comes in that says, I haven't made you all the same. Um, at my house, when ice cream comes out, I don't eat ice cream. I just don't like it, and they mock me for it now for years. And <laughs> I like French fries, and I rejoice in my French fryness. And, and that is an example of just a small piece of it. But sometimes there's other things. I, I, I've, loved, I've loved being first kazoo in the band for as long as I've known. and never been in I can't play instruments, but I, I love the fact that others just kind of almost see God in a different way in that, and I don't see it. I just don't. Mm. I pick up an instrument, and it's just it's wrong. It's just all wrong for me, but I love that others can. And I love that they step into that freedom, and they don't worry that they say, man, I wonder if Josh or Matt is okay with that. Yes, we, we have different skills. We have different gifts, and we want people to embrace those well. Yeah. So. Um, in the way of ice cream, by the way, uh, Josh has committed his conscience. You know, we have ice cream trucks often. He's committed his conscience to us when we have often. ice cream trucks. And says, why can't we have a French fried truck? So <laughs> next time we're going to have a French fried. Actually, it's way more expensive than an ice cream truck. So that's the reason why. I, 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 don't, I don't care. Yeah, I know you don't. I know you don't. Josh, close us out. Uh, I didn't prep you for that. I know this is, you know, the answer. And I told you, I'm doing what I told you I wouldn't do. But um, where's the gospel in this discussion of our conscience? Yeah, the gospel does two things. One, it allows us to feel the weight mm. of what God weighs, look ourselves in the mirror, find ourselves short, mm. and know that there is an answer to that besides just running away or sweeping it all under the carpet. And that's the beauty of it all. The other part is the gospel frees us to truly enjoy the things that God has put into our lives, both as a corporate, corporate body as well as individuals. And so you, you, get, you get both of those things with the gospel. I love it. Josh is a great blessing to our church. Josh, we love you. Thank you for initiating this series. He brought this series to the table in some of our meetings, and it's been a great blessing to me. It's actually challenged me as I've studied Romans chapter 14. Um, he's pointed out to me in the past, you are the weaker brother in this situation. As I've read Romans chapter 14, there's been a couple issues where I've realized I am the weaker brother in this situation. And so, Josh, thank you. You're a blessing to our church. This content has been amazing. Would you do us a favor? We're gonna sing one last song here in just a second. Would you pray us out and uh, pray for us as we're all digesting this issue of disagreement and unity? Yeah. God, we just were amazed at how much scripture is filled with you asking us to do unity well. And yet, if we're honest about it, it's really, really hard. Um, We'd love to memorize what the solution is for unity, and yet you've just you've given us so many principles where we have to rely on you daily with each relationship we build. It requires us to think carefully, to consider actively, and to read our Bibles well. We just pray that you would just bless us, that this church would be marked by unity 
and that would be an example of the gospel going forward. In your name, amen.